What's going on, everyone? Tanner Poppet here of Madrost and Poppet's Corner. Just reminding you that our new record, Charring the Rotting Earth, is now available at nolifetomatorecords.com. That's right. Just go on the search bar, type in nolifetomatorecords.com, and support. Again, nolifetomatorecords.com. Now, let's check out the episode you came to see. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Poppet's Corner. And I have a very special guest, as usual. I always love doing these with uh, with my homies, and this is no exception right here. I'd like to bring on the uh, the great Mike Dreyer from Condition Critical, uh, Lip King, a bunch of other killer groups which we will get into. But before we get started, Mike, how you doing, man? Good. Tanner, thanks for having us. Hello, all. <laughs> Absolutely, my friend. Well, um, so the how I like to do things on this particular show is I like to go through the guest's entire musical career and see how you know you got to where you're sitting talking to me today. So if you're ready, man, I'd love to get started and just talk shop and learn a little bit about your your journey here in the in the music Let's world. Dive right in. All righty, buddy. All right. So when was kind of the first your first recollection of just like hearing music what was and what was kind of the band that kind of did it for you that you really just remember it being like oh shit like what is this like for me to yeah go into metal or no, just, just in music into like you were five four what age were you? well my first cd that i was giving given at nine years old was meatloaf's bat at a hell it was a CD with my first uh, little, um, it was like a CD player, like a portable. It had the, I don't know what they call it. It's just like a rounded little CD player with a handle, not a boom box or anything, but I was born in 91. I'm not, I ain't old, but you know, I ain't 30 yet. So, <laughs> you know, I ain't old. I'm 29, but uh, no, I did have this rounded uh, little jukebox that my mom gave me and she gave me uh uh, Meatloaf's Bad Out of Hell and Roy Orbison hits. I will never forget it. A CD of fucking Roy Orbison. It's awesome. <laughs> and uh, no, and I just was obsessing over like Meatloaf and I don't know, I got way more into like, you know, like the years progressed, like a ACDC and just like, uh, I don't know, I guess Meatloaf's Bad Out of Hell started it off for me. Now, were your parents into music heavily? Did you, did they always play it around the house or were they musicians or, you know, I kind of just want to get the basis of, of your upbringing with music and whatnot. I, I didn't know until later on. My dad um, was, um, he played bass in, in the early 70s in a band called Abstract Sound. And they've opened up for Cream before and uh, like many other psychedelic, like early on rock bands. And you can actually look that band up. It's, they're out of Springfield, New Jersey. It's uh, And I had no idea until I was like probably 18 or 19, my dad like started to talk to me about this and stuff. And uh, I, knew, I, I always knew his like bass playing in the background, but I didn't know like how his band was like perceived as like a pretty big name at that era no which is pretty cool were they more of a prog kind of band or, or you said psychedelic psychedelic okay total psychedelic like funky like 
Yeah, that kind of like they opened up for Jefferson Airplane and shit like that. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. <laughs> and like looking back and like if you research it and like you could see it, and I'm just like, at first I was like, I don't. Are you serious? And then like look and like there's they're kind of their stuff is on like YouTube and everything is like pretty popular. I'm like, God damn, I did not know that at all. So that's yeah. so, that's so cool. So, okay, so did your dad ever kind of? you know, tell you about some touring stories or did, did they ever tour? Did they release any records? No. Okay. No, it was more so like, like this was brought up after I started to like start to become, because like my dad was like a big power lifter and everything. Like, so like once he, he grew out of that when he was younger, he was like big into lifting and he was a uh, pretty like popular power lifter and everything. And uh, that kind of got erased. And then like I later on in life, like, Reese, like we just talked about it like once he saw that i was touring and then uh yeah that was brought up again and it's kind of nice to like know that and i didn't even know that he played bass like when i started to play bass so it was just like because i've always played guitar too but it's just like the bass was more so you know like i fell into bass because it was needed in my first band pretty much sure which so. which we'll get to it's it's a little bit after this particular period that i want to kind of discuss a little bit further if you don't mind um and that oh yeah, yeah and that is so when was the moment where you kind of were discovering some of the heavier bands and and noticing what did you start to notice their album covers and that kind of you know piqued your interest probably in um i want to say in like six it was either sixth or seventh grade. I started to get into, um, so like I was heavily into like, for some reason, like I, for some reason I found rancid and like rancid and sublime and like fourth or fifth grade. And like, I just liked the upbeat kind of, uh, material they were doing. I was, I mean, like I also was in Jasmine and I played baritone saxophone for about uh four years in jazz band and i loved i was in advanced jazz band and like i just loved saxophone so much and that's like where i started performing live from like eight um like second grade to sixth grade or no eighth grade second grade to eighth grade i was in like advanced jazz band and then um i just always wanted to play guitar or bass and i started to like pick it up and um but i was listening to you know like i told you like meatloaf and like acdc and like uh, i started to get into metallica and then like once i hit like seventh grade i started to get into like heavier punk kind of stuff and uh then it just trailed on from there just like then i discovered like like so from rancid then i like i mean like i knew metallica like when i was like 12 years old like like in that genre my first met uh, uh, sorry to say this my first metallica album i ever bought was saint anger because i did not know awful album but i just knew i just saw the logo and i bought it and i dug it but then that's what helped me dig deeper into the band you know what i mean right now can we go back real quick because you said your first instrument was uh saxophone if i'm not mistaken so i'm kind of yes. curious who were some of i mean why that specific instrument for saxophone mm -hmm. 
I, I had no influences like whatsoever. Sure, but I'm saying why that specific instrument? Did it just look cool and you needed to pick oh, something? Uh, or was it just not enough people were choosing it and you kind of wanted to just just take it on or so so I bought I bought in third grade, my mom bought me an alto saxophone when I was in jazz band because I was I was renting it at the time for practice. And um I started to become good at it and there was many of us. So, and then I discovered other horn instruments. Like there's, there's a tenor saxophone and then there's a baritone saxophone, but there was always one baritone saxophone in the jazz band. And I wanted to just be that one low end per I don't know. I just thought it was way more, sorry, I burped up a bunch of beer, uh, but I just wanted to like, just i don't know it just it was more interesting being this like like absurdly large like instruments and they have just as much of a position as everyone else does interesting so and, there's some correlation with the bass guitar i would think with that though yeah exactly i mean like i feel like later in life that kind of like tied together but like in that time when i was like between like uh what 11 and 14 uh that was just like my i was like hell yeah man like i was like ripping ripping and shit like because like you're literally like you're playing up here and it goes down it's like it's like a four foot instrument you know what i mean and there's yeah tons of fun buttons and you're like and you're like three foot nothing probably this you know (laughs) yeah exactly so i was very very happy with that now, when so I know you mentioned um, that you know you mentioned you wanted you've always wanted to play bass and guitar. I'm just kind of curious when when that shift kind of happened when you pivoted from the saxophone into wanting to pick up either a bass and or a guitar or bass or a guitar. It was guitar first for sure. Um, so like after, like when I was about um, I would say so I played so I was. I played football in high school and then I did jazz as well. And I was such a busy person and I, I just always like, and like starting around like the 11, 12 year old me, like I just started to get heavily into like ACDC and Metallica and stuff like that. And like Angus Young was like, lit, I was like watching YouTube, like in 12 years old, that was like 15 years ago. It was like the most staticky kind of shit ever. Like that, like I was, grown up on like watching like random old ass computer videos and i was like man dude i so my dad bought me an epiphone sg but it actually says gibson on it so it's like a super weird old gibson guitar but it says epiphone on it i don't know i've never seen anything like i have it behind me i'll probably show you at some point but it's just like uh, that was my first guitar and my dad bought it for me. It was used and I just started to learn random things on that, just like ACDC tabs and stuff like that. It's like old rock and roll stuff. And Sure. Now, now, when was the moment where you kind of to start to see either your friends playing an instrument or there was a whole kind of like rock community or other bands? Like when was that specific moment for you? Probably not until I was like uh 16 17 years old wow okay so you've been playing guitar and or bass uh for that 
a number of years and stuff. When was the point where you started to play bass for a specific band? And what was that, that band? So, uh, the condition criticals current drummer Ryan Donato, me and him have lived in the same neighborhood. Like uh previous like when we were in the our younger ages in high school, we lived in the same neighborhood forever and we rode on the same bus and we didn't even know each other at all. Like I just knew this dude. Like so when I was a freshman he was uh one grade older than me. So once we started to be uh go so once I graduated or, uh, once I left eighth grade into high school, our high school, um, so it's 10th, uh, uh, what is it, ninth grade through 12th grade, we were in the same development. And I did not know that. Like, I always, I knew him from being the weirdo that had headphones on blasting Slayer that would enter the bus. And he was an older dude with tattoos that would just like go to the end of the bus and i never knew him but like i i always knew like i loved heavier music too but i didn't like know him well but um so we would ride the bus together almost like every single day uh for the first like when i was a freshman and he was a sophomore and he would always reek of pot, which is like amazing. So it's like <laughs> he was just like a metal bad man, which is like I was like off put because like I was like I don't know any of this music really. I don't know. I was like a fresh like I'm just turned on to this. I knew Metallica. I knew like earlier stuff, like starting to get into like Overkill and you know stuff because they're Jersey based or whatever. But he, I feel like he knew the good shit that I didn't know at that time. No, you know did I mean? you guys? Did you guys form a band? I mean, not even that. When did you and him start to kind of notice, um, you know, you had like chemistry and that he actually played an instrument? Uh, the following year, for sure. Interesting. So like, um, so I threw, I threw a house party at my mom's house, which is in the same development. And I would constantly do that every weekend. I would tell my mom, Hey, I'm going to have like, you know, like five or six people over tonight, Friday night for, you know, being 14 years old. And she's like, yeah, that's fine. Sleep over. There would be like 30 to 40 people would show up and there would be like fucking techno in the basement. Just people drunk all over. My mom's like, what the fuck's going on? Get the fuck out of here. It's like, uh, I was horrible. It was a horrible time. My mom had no idea. And then like, she would kick everybody out. She's like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, but, uh, Donato was the first, the first time that I met with him, like, uh, talking wise, like he asked me the day of my party. He was like, Hey, I heard you're having a party. Uh, is it cool if I bring some friends? I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. Whatever. Or at first I think I was like, ah, I don't know. I don't know if we're having that many people. And then he ended up showing up anyway. I don't know that as anyone did, like, even if you say no, the people are going to fucking show up anyway. Uh, and then that's how we kind of like had like our first meeting. And then uh, our buddy Derek Tang, that's now like a doctor. He was like a big guitar player and skate. He was like an amazing skateboarder in the scene too. And um, our Donato was in a band with a guy named Rory Robinson. And they, I forgot their first band. It was like an old school metal band. Nothing crazy, but it was like 
very early stages of themselves. And him and Rory became friends like because of that and longtime friends. And uh, they knew I played like guitar fucked around. Like, I don't know, like I wasn't like crazy, but they asked me to play bass one time and, or no, no, I, I brought my guitar over and we played like rain and blood and shit, just like random typical shit. And then the next time they needed a bass player, uh, I just, they, Rory gave me his bass and I just like played with a pick, just like a couple of songs and uh, went on from there really. And that's how the early stages of our first band, Strychnia, was uh, created. Interesting. And I know this specific project is more of like a, not a deathcore band, but it's more death metal influence than, say, Condition Critical. And I'm just kind of curious where that influence came from. Did you start to to listen to more death metal bands around this time period, or was this was this Rory's kind of influences being involved more, or? Oh, Strychnia was most definitely all Rory's kind of stuff. Yes. So Rory, he is the main songwriter. He was like pretty much Strychnia for sure. Like the, the whole songwriting structure, like I had no part of it other than like, you know, I added my own bass parts or whatever, but the whole song structure, Donato did his own kind of bass, like little stick, but, but in the end, like Donato and I were, were always into like, like we start like once because, like so even before the beginning of Strychnia, like Donato and I started to hang out way more, started smoking a way more together, and then just like hanging out. And uh he turned me on to like so much more earlier thrash and like he turned me on to like demolition hammer and devastation. Like when I was like 16, 17 years old, he got a tape of idolatry. And like ever since then, that has been my favorite album by far and like i've lived my life by like the writing process of like that type of style of thrash and um but moving forward though um no it was just mostly store uh for like it was like rory had more of a death metal-y kind of vibe more melodic stuff. Mm-hmm. and um we just went with it because like people were liking it and uh, our singer was more so into, like, you know, that kind of melodic stuff. But, like, Donato and I were obviously more thrash heads. You know what I mean? Just, like, so we had a nice mix. Like, Rory was way more into, like, melodic death metal and, like, heavier death metal and all that. And then Donato was, too. And I and I slowly progressed into that. And then when I was 16 years old, I was brought to my first, like, death metal show which was uh, Carcass. It was Exhumed to Consume Tour in Searville, New Jersey. It was Carcass, Suffocation, Necrophagus, Aborted, Rotten Sound, and Dying Fetus. Interesting. Dude, that was Like, that was my first show, metal, death metal show. Wow. Dude, that's what's one hell of a death metal show to go to. Um, That's what I'm saying. It's just like, I I saw Necrophagus, so... This was many... 2008. Wow! So this wasn't summer. This wasn't summer slaughter, was it? No, it was, it was called Exhumed to Consume. Okay. Yeah. So just... if, you, if you look it up, you'll see the uh, the tour poster for it. It was like the uh, it was like the Reanimator, like that 80s movie Reanimator poster 
Uh huh. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, so let's go to your first kind of studio experience and kind of what was it? You know, your first like recording or whatever, your first demo or album or what was it for you? Uh, for Strychnia, we went to a, a place in Clifton. It was called Frightbox Recording, and that's still a thing now. Like we were at the beginning stages of uh, going to the studio. It is lit in Clifton, New Jersey. It is literally a warehouse, massive warehouse. It looks like an abandoned building. You go up, and then you take this risky ass elevator with all your gear up, and then you go to a room. And this place has progressed to, like, this guy has done numerous things. His name's Bobby Torres. He is a phenomenal recording engineer. This this guy is, like, top-notch. Like, he's to a point, like, you feel so comfortable from when you walk in, and this guy knows exactly what you want, like, no matter what. And we, we uh, yeah, we... Uh, Pretty much went with this guy right away after turning down like this like random record label and this record label was like i don't know we didn't we played our first strychnia big show was with dri at starland ballroom and there was a this random independent record label there and uh they hit us up afterwards and they met us at this they met us at a he, he he invited us to Buffalo Wild Wings. <laughs> like he paid for a meal, and it was like he offered us this horrible deal, and we were just like, nah. So we got free shitty wings out of it. You know, with recording the Tommy of Execution record with Strychnia, what was your kind of takeaway from even just getting into the studio to do that? You know what. You know, you're you're walking into the studio and going like, "Holy fuck, what what am I in for?" You well, know it I mean? was like, so we did like, we were just like, I don't know, there wasn't like much pressure the entire time because like we ended up like just doing it and paying it for paying for ourselves to do it, and then we ended up getting a way better deal, just paying for it for ourselves through Frightbox recording. And, uh, I don't know. We just went in, had fun. So we ended up actually recording a demo and then we ended up just putting those three songs onto the album. And you can hear the difference on that album. There's no physical release whatsoever. I don't even think there's an album art. It was just like, literally just like, we just did it like our first thing. And, um, I don't know. We just like paid, a quarter of the price because our label thought we were paying way more. I don't know. I don't know. That label was like so sketchy, dude. Like they were trying to charge us way more. And like, we were just like, fuck you. Thank you for the free wings. But no, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Now, we just did it ourselves. Now was, uh, did you guys end up like doing a tour for this specific release or like, cause I know this is again, your first kind of record and, and, and not knowing anything with your first record. None of us did. Um, what did you guys end, like start? Did you guys actually promote this thing or did you just do local shows? And, and whatnot? Literally all local shows. Like this album was not promoted like in any way we should have done it. We were like between like 
16 and 19 and we did this and like we had no backing we like literally just played we played like a show every like 10 days almost like locally like we played all of philly new york new jersey like we like every single every single big band or so we would be able to get onto the show and like we had to sell tickets and when we were that young we fucking I mean, like, we didn't, I, I will never do that again, obviously, but, like, when you're young, like, I don't know, that was, like, the big ticket-selling kind of days. I don't know. Dude, that happened out here in the West Coast, and it's nice to know that it didn't, it wasn't just the West Coast that, oh, like, no, that, dude. Shit, that bullshit was happening, dude. It was happening yeah. everywhere, man. It's crazy. Horrible. <laughs> we played, like, one or two Battle of the Bands things, Ooh, and we had to sell tickets. Worse. Those are the worst. Dude, we all hated it, but like one member wanted to do it and then we would like do it. But like, I don't know. We like, honestly, in the end, like we would just like uh, get like, you know, our friends would support it. We would bring like 20 to 30 people to like help us, you know, like whatever. And they liked us anyway. So it was like, why not? Just like, we'll give you. And like even some people, we would pay for half of their ticket just to like get on. You know what I mean? Just like it was awful, dude. Like the beginning of that band was just like in the what? worst <laughs> fucking timing ever, dude. I don't know. Totally. Now, but let me ask you like a personal question. And it, were your parents very supportive of this? You know, would they kind of take you to shows and and help you pay for these tickets or like how do you did you go about doing this back in no my parents have never seen me but i my parents love me completely but they are not metal people whatsoever and i would not bring my mom to where we played whatsoever so it was more so for me protecting my mom (laughs) (laughs) not yeah okay okay so let's let's move ahead and and simultaneously you kind of start condition critical as you know you're you're still playing in strychnia and i'm just kind of curious the basis and the origins of that did you want to do a more thrashier kind of band or was that kind of seen pot more popular in new jersey around this time uh donato and i were the big thrash heads of strychnia for sure and we've always like me and donato were just like always like fucking hanging out like listening to thrash metal like in his fucking he had this like ford pickup truck and we would like hot box it with like blunts and just like listen to overkill taking over and just like demolition hammer and shit like that like all the time like yeah so anytime i would get into his car i would learn about a new album pretty much when i was that young and then that Which, sparked the, the creativity to want to do a, a a particular thrash band oh yeah for sure and then um so during like uh so strychnia like you know like after like we only had that one album we played tons of shows like dude we were like we played everywhere man like on the east coast uh not east not the full east coast but like between jersey philadelphia new york and uh delaware like in that general area um, wow. we would play like every single week, like sometimes like three times a month. It was like dumb, but Trenton was like our home spot that we would always play. But, uh, starting to become tours 2009 strychnia, just like, we just kind of like started to like, you know, like everyone was kind of doing their own thing. And like me and Donato still like were doing their thing. And then like Donato left. And then in 2010 or 2000, the end of 2009, like, 
uh, Donato hit up uh, her. He answered a Craigslist. Right, so we always have this. Ah, shit. I'm sorry. I skipped a little bit. So there's a guy named Dave Hewson in Tom's River, New Jersey, who pl- I don't know what other band he was in, but um, he put up an ad to uh, just like he's a thrash guitarist. And um, he's the original guitar player of Condition Critical. And Donato answered that. And then Alonzo also put up a uh, ad for that. And Dave was also in like Strychnia for like literally like 30 days. And then there who just like, I don't think I want to do this anymore. So him and Donato started to do this like kind of thrash kind of deal. And then they answered a, um, a Craigslist ad that, Alonzo Maguino, who was the original singer, Condition Critical, they at, they uh, answered his ad, and then they got together. And then it was early 2010, or at the end of 2009, um, where um, I actually just called Donato, just seeing if he wanted to go get a drink or something, or I don't know, I was like fucking 19 or 20, and uh, the, he said he was out of practice. And that night, like, he was like, do you want to just come over and jam really quick? So I literally, it was like the right time at the right, like, whatever. And then I just packed up my gear and went and jammed. And that's how Condition Critical started, pretty much. Interesting. So, okay, let's go to the uh, the Bread to Kill release. And I'm oh, just shit. Kinda, <laughs> I, I'm just, just kind of curious. Um, the, the whole process for this, what did you learn from the Anthem the anatomy of execution record that you applied more so to this specific demo release. I didn't write anything on there. I, so exactly where we just left off, like me approaching that practice space, I had to play bread to kill bread to kill, like at the practice space. So is this demo recorded at a practice space is what you're telling me? No, no. That demo is recorded at the studio that uh, Strychnia recorded their first album at. Okay, so there's connections between the two. I see, I see. Yes. Um, now, and this is a, this is a very kind of more demolition hammery kind of vibe, I would say, more so. Because it's like you're, I know that's what you're more influenced from, from that. So there's a stark, like a uh, total contrast between the two. You got your death metal over here, right? And you got your threat, like your total just speed metal or death or thrash metal kind of over here. And were yeah. you guys were you guys playing shows together around this time? No, we've we've never played shows together. Once once um condition critical started, Donata was never in Strychnia again. I carried forward with Strychnia for one more EP which is reanimated monstrosity. I played bass on that. And then I was no longer with them after that. Anyway. Interesting. Okay. So we'll, we'll get, we'll get to that story in a, in a second, I promise, but let's go to condition critical. And just did you was, cause obviously in the, the West coast, as you know, there was this thing called the new wave of fresh metal scene. I'm just kind of curious. Did you start to notice some of, of those bands either touring the East Coast or did you guys have your own scene out there or? Yeah, no, Condition Critical built like a decent scene. I don't want to say we're like a huge scene on the East Coast, but like, I mean, like for, I mean, by now, I mean, obviously we're probably, oh, 
you know, like we're, we're okayly known, you know, but, um, uh, no, but we, we've as once, uh, Candice and Critical, like our first show was in 2011 at this place called the Meat Locker. It was a basement in, um, Montclair, New Jersey. We played with Incinerator for the very first time. Um, I think Bomb Scare too was there and, um, a very old band called Midian, very old thrash band called Midian. Um, uh, th- that was that our very first show. And then ever since then, like we've like, yeah, man, like we, like, uh, by 2011, we played the opening show. We played with, uh, morbid saints first show back. We played with whiplash like four or five times, like, yeah, between like those first two years of us being a band, like I don't know, it's did just like guys, things kind of blew up. Sh- did you guys pre-sale around this time too, or was this the point where it was you were just uh, you kind of uh, x that part out or whatever? Pre, what do you mean? Did you pre-sale for more saying? Did you pre-sale for for um for? Oh no no no! no we had a uh, Keith Keith Carney. He is one of our amazing friends. Like he is, he was, he, I don't know if he still books shows, but he was the best booker to go to in Philadelphia. Like Keith, like that dude is like, he lives and rips old school. That guy is such a good friend of ours. He is like die hard. Like he is the guy like of everything. Like, I don't know. That guy is like the best person in the entire world. Like, I swear to God, like that guy lives and breathes metal shows. And, uh, I couldn't have asked for a better person to help us be on the up and coming of any sort of promotion just to, you know what I mean? That guy, that guy fucks. I'll tell you. I wouldn't know. I don't want to get that story. But what I what I want to so let's go to your your first your first album. Oh wait, sorry, this one here. Uh, God damn it! God damn it! I saw what you did there. Uh, Hold them together. To, Hold them together. You really want me to? That was the that was the whole joke. He's a good no. Story. I need you to. Oh my god! You have no idea, dude. And every time I would like message that band, they would never like, like my comment or anything. I'm just like, yo, cause it was just like, we got that. And then, uh, here, wait, I'll let you, I'll let you <laughs> dig into it. Well, I didn't, I wasn't sure if you wanted to, but I was just, I was just, you know, no, I'm, little, I'm little always, joke. I'm little always joke. down to dig into that L- little, little joke here. Right. That's why I asked if you're a good sport before this interview, but, um, let's go to your, your operational, uh, hazard release. This is the, uh, the first time you kind of worked with a bigger artist. And I want to know the choice your, your guys' reasoning is for going to Ed Repka. Did you, were you fans of him um, in for his '80s covers or something, and wanted to 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 use him, or did you start to see because a lot of the new wave of thrash bands started to use him on their album covers? And did you kind of want to kind of you know uh, at least have one in your in your catalog from Ed Repka? It's it's kind of a little bit of both. I would say a little bit of both, to be honest, because like. I don't know. I love his work and I love how real, like the, um, like the body aspect the like the human, just like absolute, like absolute, just like, I don't know. It was like the realistic kind of like, 
figures that he was doing, like the human-like like pictures. It almost looks like a... Yes, exactly. But... But for him to like make it like more original, we wanted to make it not. We we listed, <laughs> I listed into the thing like we don't want burning buildings in the background, we don't want fucking flames, we don't want all this shit, we don't want we don't want you in the goddamn picture, which is like everything excluded, and I feel like we ended up with an absolute beautiful original kind of like Dr. Mascot. Absolutely, man. And I like that there's no like this. He always has like a guy doing this. Like he's like screaming. He's like, yes, exactly. (laughs) But this doesn't have any of that. Um, Now, you know, I got to let's touch upon just the album covers for per se, before we dive deep into the uh, recording of it and, and whatnot. I know you're Jones and to get to it. So, when did you notice the the similarities between these two? Oh, immediately, immediately, dude. Because like uh, we have a bunch of German friends, and I think I don't know who who told me it or who sold me it, but um, Tom Martin from Lich King put together. I think he's probably the one that like said <laughs> to me immediately. And he put together the best collage that I've it's ever seen. Classic, dude. What, what he called it the Ed replication. Yes, you know exactly what shit. I'm talking about. I lost my shit, dude. I was like, "This is fucking fucked up." Dude, it's fucking awesome. <laughs> and ours isn't even the worst, dude. Like, dude, the um, I don't remember the other band's names, but like, dude, it is like fucked up. Like, he took two albums and just like literally just use the two albums as one like aggressor wasn't one of them called aggressor 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 was one but i don't know what the main one was where he had both of them together it it looked like sydney australia burning i remember that and i can't i can't remember the band but i know what you're talking about right dude it was so bad like and we prayed we paid a pretty penny for that, so it's just like fuck, what man. Did, I can't even imagine what they paid. To be honest, like at that point, though, wouldn't you go back to the artist and say, "Dude, you totally fucked us. Give us our fucking money back," or just like, like how do you handle that? Like, how? If <laughs> you know what I mean? If I was them, I would. But honestly, since like operational hazard, we had our designs. We had our characters made before Hell's Domain. So, I mean, like, if anything, like, they should be the ones worried about, uh, or they should be the ones that should be, like, getting their money back. I mean, like, honestly, we should, too, because, like, that's not fair. Like, hey, man, we, we paid this amount. Yeah, exactly. That poor guy on the cover, though, man, he's, he's got fucked two ways, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then they, they also relate... Um, that guy to the ultra violence cover there's like one there's like another bald guy but with it yeah it's the it's the uh the one with the what was it um clockwork orange or whatever the yeah clockwork yeah there's like there's a bald guy like on the ground as well like the or like uh something like that yeah that's great i mean dude i'd be really pissed off have you have you ever kind of gotten in contact with Ed Revka since then, or was this just like you know what we're gonna move on to get somebody else on the next one? Since since the album's been printed in 2013, I have not talked to him 
or contacted them, but it is what it is, man. Like you, you could see the dates, you could see when it was printed, you could see when it was released. Anyone after that that has to deal with the horror of copying, uh, that's on them. Well, I mean, and to be fair, both albums are really stellar. This is kind of how I found out about Hell's Domain was through that whole rep. It was Ed replication. Dude, Tom. Thing ever. Tom's a goddamn genius. I'll tell you that. <laughs> awesome. Anyway, let's let's move forward real quick, and I want to touch upon um, the recording of Operational Hazard. Um, being that this is a, your your the first full length for Condition Critical, what was your main goal personally on this particular record, and did you actually achieve that? So Sam, uh, so we have a guitar. So in uh, so once we had an established uh, band for Condition Critical in 2010, we released the Bread to Kill demo, which was me, Dave, Alonzo, and uh, Donato. Yes, exactly. Uh, Dave shortly, soon after that was released, Dave left um, and Sam Agnew joined. And about 2012, we started to play way more shows, like like heavily in the East Coast area. And Sam Agnew was in a band called uh, I forgot the name of his band. If he ever see, like he'll bitch at me. Forget it was it was it was such a sick band. Like so, he's from Rio Grande, New Jersey, which is like literally the bottom, bottom, bottom. Uh, so if Key West was the version of uh, the bottom of New Jersey. It's like literally the smallest bottom part of New Jersey. Uh, three hours away from me and Donato, uh, this guy was like a violence fiend. Like he was obsessed with violence, evil. He knew everything, man. He like fucking knew all the thrash bands. And like I started to know all this stuff too. So like me, him, Donato, like we fucking clicked like immediately with like all these fucking amazing thrash bands. Like Sam had this like aggressive riffing that like we all wanted. Like we couldn't think of it at the time. We were so young and like Sam was the same age as me. Like we he bringing up the riffs, bringing the slams, the demolition hammer, the fucking pestilence shit. Like, oh man, we were like all about it. And um uh, I'll think of the name at some point, but, uh, so we started to get together and he, he was going to school in, uh, Rutgers in New Brunswick where, and that was way up North in New Jersey and mm-hmm. Donato and I lived in South Brunswick. So Sam was only 20 minutes away at this point. And Sam and Donato met at a nuclear assault show and, uh, Donato talked to him about playing guitar and um that's how he we tried out so that's so sam came at, so sam and donato met at a nuclear assault show in new york city uh about a week later we brought him in to try out and we just played a few songs like covers or whatever and then that's how it went off so operational hazards just started off as like three people that wanted the most aggressive thrash sound and sam had all these fucking riffs ready to go now, did you mention you wanted to know Alonzo's first band, did you say? Or Sam's first band? Sam's first band. I fucking forget it, man. <laughs> Sam. So 
Oh my God, I forgot to even bring this up. So Alonzo and Tony were in a band uh -huh. called Legionary before all of this. So we didn't even know Tony at the time, but Alonzo left a Le Legionary to join a thrash band because he didn't want to be a lot. Isn't that funny how everything works? Donato and I didn't want to be in a uh, uh, melodic band anymore. Um, Alonzo did not want to be in a melodic band anymore. <laughs> and then Tony and Frank, which is the drummer of a legionary, just continued to stay. And then Tony and uh, it, there's such a tongue twister of a band shit going. <laughs> sure. Now, now was the band uh, Cerebral Decay at all? Yes, that's the fucking band. Holy shit. Oh my okay. god, how do you even <laughs> Holy oh. shit, dude. All right, so let's move forward a bit. Um it looks like you, obviously you uh you completed your goals on on operational hazard, right? You wanted that bass tone. We got to talk about the bass tone. I can't I can't leave this uh, off the table is and I have to tell you this too. Immediately every time I hear you play, I know it's you. That you have you <laughs> for some reason have this distinctive bass tone and I don't know if you realize it I'm sure you've been told it many times and if not if this is the first time that's that's kind of sad but I feel you have the most distinctive bass tone in all of like our kind of generation like I always know it's Mike playing because of that distinct bass tone where did that come from how and 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 I guess what bands were you listening to to get that specific fucking bass tone so my uh i swear by acoustic amps the the brand is acoustic i don't know so when i first like with strychnia my uh my mom like when i was like 14 years old my mom bought me my first bass and amp and i was so happy about that because like obviously i couldn't afford it and like she knew like how much or i was 15 probably um i was like so obsessing about it and like oh man so she got me and I still have the bass for this day. And that bass has been recorded on every album that I've ever played on. <laughs> so just to show you how good that bass is, I love it so goddamn much. Um, but no, um, I just must say, just like I loved, um, uh, what is it? Like the bleeding by Cannibal Corpse, like Alex Webster's bass playing, like the the twangy, just like fucking like higher end, and then years of decay, like Dee Dee Verney, man, like that that twangy, like cut through, just like fat bottom, nice mid range, high end, fat mid range, fat bottom, just like that, and I just swear by it. And it took me a couple of times to like figure out what head to start with. So I ditched what my mom gave me. And then, uh, when I started working and living on my own, it's just like, uh, so I bought an eight by 10 by acoustic. And then the Mark base eight mini tube, 800 is like the fattest jazz. Like, I think it's just jazz pickups, man. Like I'm telling you like the fattest jazz pickups on my, uh, Ibanez SR 700, uh, and I have a couple of pedals with that, but it's just like, I don't know. It's just, I feel like it's all in the jazz pickups and the jazz amps and the jazz head because Mark bass is like, I only see a bunch of like funk people play it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But if you, 
if you add a couple of distortion pedals though, which I have, I so I use a um here, I'll give you a little <laughs> Oh look at that right there. For the, all those who are, are listening, he's showing us his bass rig right there. Um so you know, I use is this uh, is this visible? Yep, it's visible. All right. So I use a Sparkle Overdrive Voodoo Labs pedal an ODB3 bass overdrive. And then this is my setup here. So I use an 8x10 acoustic cabinet with a Mark Bass Mini Tube 800. Absolutely. Okay, so that must be how you get your kind of sound and whatnot. That's awesome. All right. Yeah. Now let's let's move forward. When was the moment when Sam left and and Tony came in? Um, so it was pretty much, I want to say, and this is well before the first tour, obviously that was, um, you know, yes, this, oh, there you go. You just helped me out. So apparently, so the operational hazard tour where I met you for the first time ever in 2013, mm -hmm. Donato's work ended up taking him over he had to cancel. So we got Dmitry Demenkov who filled in on drums and then uh, Sam also couldn't take off. So we lost half of our band within a month before the tour. And I have spent about six months booking this tour and I was like literally on the verge of like fucking freaking out. And That's crying. right. And, and, and go, going back a little bit, you didn't have a booking agent at this time. And I know no, this was I, like a month long tour, right? A month or two long, month long tour. This was three. It was 21 shows. Wow. That's a lot to take on for your first time, right? For our first show, first tour ever. And I put my heart and soul into this tour. And I was like, I was freaking the fuck out, man. Like, I was like, dude, we just lost half of our band and I don't know what to do. And we found, and Tony was, well, well, the thing was with Tony, like Tony was already in the midst of joining the band because Sam was going away for college. Like Sam went on to do amazing for himself. Like he went to do, like he worked for Google. He's like a, software engineer dude that dude is fucking golden for life so i mean it was worth in a while but it's just like it's just like so much stress on me and i was like about to cry <laughs> but <laughs> but uh tony pulled forward dimitri pulled forward we fucking hopped on a bus and we toured with uh incinerator and a band called killing session from ohio and we fucking set off I remember that that uh, that show well, dude. It was um, I've I've already be, I've already talked about it way too much. So I'm not going to talk about it, but that it was, was you and the bartender, <laughs> and, Andy, and and Andy Ford at the door. Um, That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember you, you guys just fucking killed it, dude. This is way this is and this is well before you started to like almost get in shape with yourself, which I want to ask. I want to touch upon that subject if you don't mind too. And and oh yeah. That, that kind of process, but you know, this is, you know, you guys in playing shape, you were fucking phenomenal. Right. Um, and I think the joke you made was see, not everybody in Jersey looks like this. And you pointed to Tony who's like ripped as shit. And yeah. So, um, but you know, how was that first tour for you in, overall? 
I mean, it was good. It was what we want. I mean, expected. I mean, like we had like out of like the 18 shows, you know, we had like six very, very good ones. We had like five okay ones. And then like, you know, the rest were like horrible, but I mean like whatever, like, you know, we, we've never been out. No one's heard of us. Like we released an album. I did so much with that tour and I mailed posters to each venue like i i like literally did so much because like i've never done this before and i just wanted to make it i you know i, I don't know i want to make it perfect and effortless for people that were booking us and accepting us for people that they've never seen before like i want to make it like i don't know i just wanted to make like a name that we were like we're not just like a fucking band like hey book us you know like i put in the effort to like mail shit and promotion stuff you know like uh, little cards too that they could pass out like i don't know sure and it obviously it was worth it in the end i mean you made friends for for expensive for but yes. yeah well you i'm just saying the connections you made on it were you know have helped you out as as well um oh I'm, yeah i would have never have met you and we would have never been this close i mean i'm sure i would have met you but like I would rather have met you that long ago than more recent. You know what I mean? I, I so. think I think the connection wouldn't have been as strong. I, I will I will definitely say that because I kind of saw you guys are like not your lowest point, but it also it was because you guys were on you guys crushed it, so it wasn't your lowest point. But I'm saying that was your first tour. You know what I mean? Like yeah. So it's like I kind of saw you at the beginning, right? And I've kind of followed you ever since. So I think that having that connection and is is just only gotten stronger since and and that's a testament to you know the uh, how the tour was a success it wasn't a failure it was definitely a yeah. success in certain aspects so for uh, sure now let's go to when alonzo decided to kind of step away and this is the around the same time too that you wanted to kind of get in shape or whatever you started to lift more weights and whatnot and did that <laughs> did that kind of come i want to both aspects kind of happen simultaneously i'm just curious you know was it your pops kind of training you around this time um which is how you kind oh, of oh no kind of, my my dad passed away before that first tour that i saw you on oh no i'm sorry to hear i okay no it's fine no 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 yeah uh, like there was no inspiration of that like my whole life i was always fit but then like you know like there has been times where I was just like, eh, I'm lazy. I don't want to do anything for years. I want to eat burgers and lay down. But then just like, yeah, just like, uh, I just indulge more into lifting and stuff. So did you kind of, fun. did you kind of get sick of like being out of shape though? That yeah, for sure. Like yeah. Like torrent, like, I don't know, just like more touring. It's just like doing more writing at home, like laying around, just like, but no, my entire life I was always fit, but it's just like there's been years and sections where I've been just like not and then like I ate like shit and then like I get back. So that just shows you to anyone like you know, like if you're fit and then you gain weight for years, you can totally just gain it back and look amazing again. So it's just like it's not a big deal. Like you can totally burn that off and like if anything, make your muscles even bigger. That's right. So now was Alonzo jealous of this, so he decided to step away from the band, or was this? <laughs> That's the exact reason. No, oh. um, no, Alonzo just like it was a, sh it was kind of dumb how he left. It are, are we are we moving into Lich King now? 
we're, we're, we're almost there. We're almost okay, there. because that, we're, we're that conversation will be into the entrance into Lich King, actually. Uh, no, we're at, we're at 2014-2015 era. So okay, so that is the exact thing. So we played... Um, so my... Alright, so if we're going into Lich King stuff, um, I've been a huge fan of Lich King my entire life. Or, or not. Yes, since I was born, yes, I've been. Since famous. I was born, been around forty <laughs> years no, already. But condition critical always opened up for Lich King every time they played in Trenton, and then um, uh, I've always been a diehard fan. Like once I heard "Born of the Bomb," and even before that, like we played condition critical played the "Born of the Bomb" release show in uh, uh, Florence, Massachusetts, at the thirteenth floor before they had the upstairs venue. It was the bottom. It was massive. It was um, Lish King, Condition Critical, Sonic Pulse, and Smash Potato. And it was awesome. Massive show. It was great. And uh, that's when we became even more friends. And they, every time they played Trenton, we would always up, open up for them. And then... Uh, uh-huh. Go ahead. Well, uh, so I, I just want to kind of ask, did did you kind of discover Lich King on like the Thrash Unlimited page? Or how did you... Never. I didn't even know what that was. Sam told me about Strash Unlimited, and Sam would always talk about. <laughs> I'm gonna bring it up. I'm sorry, Tom, but like Tom and John Keevil always arguing <laughs> uh, about black metal sucks or something. So I don't know. That's that's all I. That's I've never been on Thrash Unlimited. Otherwise, I just know about that funny kind of loving aspect of that uh, Thrash Unlimited, and I wish I saw that conversation, but. Like everyone I know in the Jersey Thrash community of that old school era tells me about that all the time, and I laugh all the time. So, yeah. Um, okay. So, so getting into Lich King, what transpired to where they needed their their bases either left or got fired or whatever? How did that whole transition happen? Um. So. Uh, after their U.S. tour, they had an outing with Dave, and I love Dave so goddamn much. Dave Hughes is, like, such a good friend of mine, and uh, he didn't want to do it anymore. And then they had a fill-in for their tour for um, – so on their U.S. – the uh, Born of the Bomb U.S. tour, uh, that bassist had left at that time. Love him to death. Amazing guy. And then um, they had – they ended up touring or they ended up playing a show at Brian's festival and doing Canada with, um, ah, God damn it. I forgot his name. His name's Scott, Scott something. Um, he ended up doing just filling in for that. And then they did a tour with, uh, Ex Mortis on the East coast in 2014 um, and they had a fill in bass player as well. And condition critical played that show in Trenton and we just like we 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 would always play and we played the Born of the Bomb release uh show and in Philly on their tour with uh in Philadelphia and uh just at the end of that tour at the end of 2014 uh Tom messaged me saying he was listening to like operational hazards like I like your bass tone man like I <laughs> You know, man, it's good. Like, that's not his actual voice, but I mean, I wish it was. But uh, 
And then I was like, hey, man, I mean, like, I'd love to, like, you know, try out. And he sent me a couple of songs. And I, uh, literally, he sent me, like, four or five songs. And, like, five days – or uh, I think it was, like, two days later, I sent him five songs with me recorded the bass over everything because I was so eager. I was like, man, I fucking love this, man. Like, I'll do it. I mean, so I learned the five songs by ear, sent it to him. I was like, holy shit, sounds pretty cool. So I drove four hours to try out uh, about 10 days later and we ate a bunch of chicken and then uh, I was announced to fill in for their March tour of 2000 and I don't know if it was 2000, 2015, March 2015. And then at the end of the tour, I was uh, told I was in the band pretty much. And then immediately after... Uh, Tom quits. Yes, dude. The <laughs> the end of the tour, he said he quit. So yes. Wow, wow. So then, obviously, they they in typical Lich King fashion, they had to write a song about it. So I I don't want to make myself. I think I'm the reason why he quit. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> he's like at the end of the tour, he's like, "This guy's good." Yeah, I quit. I'm out of here. Man. <laughs> That's so, but he, I think he just got tired of, of touring, to be honest with you. I think he just thought it was stupid, from my understanding, uh, with touring, correct? I mean, there, there, honestly, there wasn't much touring happening. It was like, uh, I just, I just didn't like Tom did a very long tour. He did like a 50 day tour for the US, the US, uh, um, sorry, uh, Born of the Bomb tour on the US and, uh, I just don't know if he wanted to play live shows anymore because honestly, from then on, uh, between 2015 and 2018, Lich King played about 400 shows like around the world. We went around the world almost twice. Wow. And that's that's kind of insane, dude. Yeah. Right now. Uh, I got to ask you, what is the deal with you and Brian making Super Bowl bets with like whoever loses has to eat this gargantuan fucking meal. It's just like super weird. So can you explain, can you give, can I get that story from you? <laughs> um, so it's between, it's, so we, we, we don't know what we want anymore. We don't know if we want large amounts of food or we don't know if we want disgusting food. So it's just like, it's like literally heat of the moment. So it all started when we played. So Lich King randomly opened up for Parkway Drive at the House of Blues in Boston one time. It was the most ridiculous thing. Like we were asked in an email, like, hey, do you want to open up for Parkway Drive? And like, sure, yeah. I don't know. We had catering and everything. It was like, all right, I don't care. Uh, the, The crowd had no idea what they were doing when they were watching us and it was awesome. I loved every second of it. Uh, but, um, afterwards on the way home, me and Brian were just, I don't know. I don't know what made us get it, but we got a box of ice cream sandwiches and me and him each ate six ice cream sandwiches. And we were just like, this is fucking great. Not really at all. We felt sick. And then, so that super bowl, we were just like, all right, Hey, uh loser you know like brian's from massachusetts i'm from new jersey at that time and we're like hey um 
the Patriots are definitely going to be in the Super Bowl. I'll take the other team. Whoever, if the Patriots lose, I eat the ice cream sandwiches. If they win, I do, uh, you do or whatever. Uh, and so the, ever since then, we've just continued to make disgusting bets. So great. I remember the, the McDonald's one that fucking grossed me out, but that's, that's okay. So dude, that was horrible. He threw up so in Australia. So he had to eat five Big Macs. He only made four, but there was a dealer's choice, which is two chicken patties in McDonald's. I don't know what it's called there. I forgot it, but yeah, it was awful. I think you filmed some of that too, or like either you or him puking in a bucket. I think probably both. Um, at no, I smelled the thing. It was like he, it's the whole apartment smelled like McDonald's when he was throwing up. It was awful, dude. <laughs> it's fucking great. Anyway, let's move ahead real quick. So um, <laughs> <laughs> let's get away from this, please. Let's get away from this, please. Right <laughs> now, let's go to the um, the uh, Omniclasm release. This is your first record with it, and again, you bring your never heard of. Right. Actually, no. <laughs> fuck it. No, no. Not even before that. I've skipped the record. I skipped a record. Hold on. I got to do this. Oh, I thought you were going to just like throw it behind you. <laughs> no, just like get rid of it. No. Let's go to the extermination plan release. Oh. Get... Oh, come All on. Right. No, um, I, I'm. I'm sorry. And uh, and you get Ryan uh, Taylor on on vocals. He obviously he does um, Solstice and a couple other bands nowadays. Love right? that guy. But, yeah, but I'm kind of curious, you know, that specific choice because he's in Florida. Obviously, you're in 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 Jersey and whatnot. So where's that correlation now? Did you meet him on a tour? This is another long, long one. Um, so, uh, so can uh, Ryan and I have always talked, and um, in 2014, uh, we opened up for uh, so Solti Solstice and Thrasher Die were on tour in 2014 and we played with them in New York and their second show, they opened up for Wehrmacht. They were on tour with Wehrmacht, which is awesome. Like it was like, Holy shit. I get to see Wehrmacht solstice and thrasher die <laughs> and play. It's like, fuck man. Uh, so no, like Ryan was always a big fan of us. And then, uh, we saw that show in New York city. And then there was another time that, uh, we played at a place called Jabber Jaws in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and Solstice playing there, and Condition Critical opened, and Ryan was there, and he was like, uh, he they got there, Solstice got there right early, and Ryan was fucking singing every word of him, like, God damn, I love this guy. And then me and him always have talked, and um, in 2000, and I think it was mid-2015, right after I joined Lich King, uh, after Tom quit, we had a big European tour booked, like it was 36 shows in a row with one day off 36 shows in a row all over Europe, our first lift King tour. And Tom, Tom was not in the band anymore and they needed a singer. I asked Ryan, Ryan immediately was down. I got Ryan. Ryan lived in my apartment with me and him for two months practicing with lift King before we left for Europe. So we head to Europe. Yo, Ryan Taylor filled in for Lich King for the first European tour. And from then on, uh, between Ryan joining uh, Condition Critical for the album afterwards, because like he was already down with Condition Critical. Like, so in between those two months, like he, uh, we wrote, um, he helped record uh, the Condition Critical album. Like, 
I was showing him the riffs, showing him the lyrics, and he was also learning the Lift King songs and everything. Dude, That's he funny. had the we had the busiest month of my entire life ever. Him too. Like he had to tackle on Solstice shit, and then like I was teaching him the the riffs for recording for uh, Condition Critical, and then like Tony, like Tony would come over and him, like we, I recorded all of the guitars in my apartment for extermination planned and like i had to show them riff by riff what to play like it was insane yeah it was like it's a great record man i mean my only complaint dude i'm just gonna tell you this because i'm a straight shooter my the vocals are, are the vocals are too low for me they're like way you too think low so? in the mix. yeah dude i wanted the vocals like a little bit higher in the mix but like higher know, end or like no, just like sitting, like sitting more comfortably on top. It seems like they're buried underneath all the instruments. What do you Every think about I'm... the flows, though? The flows of what? His cadences? Are you talking? Um... Yeah, no, because I I wrote all the most of the flows of oh, no, those the... lyrics. No, no, the lyrics are fine. I'm just it, it's just the overall whoever mixed it. I wish the vocals were higher in the actual mix itself. Okay. That was my only complaint with it because this is a great fucking record, man. Brian, Every... Brian, you're fucking up. You hear this? <laughs> Brian, <laughs> it's, just, it's just a personal opinion, dude. I, no, I, I, I know. He's buried in the mix, so and he's a great vocalist as well. So, we oh can't, my, dude, we can't discredit that. You know what I mean? So, um, it, I, I would never take away any for that album. Like everyone was on their top game. I swear to God. And it sounds that way, right? But again, I'm just, it's a personal preference thing for me. I'm just yeah. really trying to top my riffage. I mean, like Tony helped out with a good chunk of riffs too but it's like man like i i have a bunch of good riffs still in my mind for the next one but it's just like i'm just trying to like exceed we'll that like stompy shit we'll get to it we'll get to it i promise now uh you record the record obviously in your houses and 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 whatnot you get it mixed and and mastered um and what is the overall response to this specific release for what extermination plan yes sir Oh, we've had nothing but I feel like that like we've exceeded like our first album like by tenfold for sure. Did you do more cuz obviously you you learned more about promotion and whatnot. did you go through a PR firm for this specific release and saw more We did not. This is oh, okay. this is all us. We had no label, no anything for extermination plan. The only thing that we had was we had a reprinting in Brazil by um marquee records or whatever yes exactly they uh but two years after the release they uh reprinted it in brazil but other than that no we uh we did everything ourselves financed everything ourselves promoted everything ourselves we had no help whatsoever for extermination plan that's pretty amazing considering it's it's uh one of it's one of your, your it, to me, it's my favorite release of, of Condition Critical, and it's a lot of people's favorite releases. Um, I'm now, very happy with that. <laughs> absolutely. Despite my, gri my, my gripes about it, but it is what it is. So I think it's a great fucking record. Um, now, you did, you did some touring for this, I know, as well. Um, it was probably, what, a 30, 40-day run? We played, I remember I think Madras it was like played. 20, 26 or 28, yeah. And you guys did three three or four of the shows with us. I can't even remember. It's been so long. But it was I think it was four. It was with Game Over and, help me out here, was it just Game Over and you guys? 
It was just game over on us, but I think you you guys met us in San Francisco when we did Hematoxin and um, uh, Fog of War. And Madras, you guys, and game over. Dude, that's a stacked show, man. I remember. Yeah. um, So I remember at this particular show, Josh from Fog of War saying, dude, you don't realize this now. But in 20 years, people might be talking are going to be talking about this fucking lineup, wishing that they were here. And there's only like 30 to 40 people there. Dude, it, w- it was like I couldn't even believe it because like I've been dying to see like you guys in Fog of War and like uh, who else was it, though? It was it uh, was Trestolence. Uh, was. Yes, on. that's the other band. That's the other band. Yes. OK, I have a somewhat good memory now. Um obviously you know we, we i had to do fucking sound for that dude really i didn't know that okay. i had to there was one microphone and then i had to play music in between bands i'd have to run dude it was the most ridiculous place ever was that the venue where they wouldn't allow us to bring in backpacks or something like that they they wouldn't allow us to bring in something and i was getting mad because i all my cables were in a backpack so i had to take them probably out. i don't know there was like Anyway, regardless of getting off subject here, but I remember playing the show with, with with you guys. You guys killed it on that on that specific run. Even though I only got to see you know three or four of the shows, um, and then we played obviously uh, Vegas, which was a very interesting tale, I was to say the least. Weirdest I, show I've ever played. Dude, I mean, again, I, I know is that place is, still exists. Does it still exist? It, I don't. I don't think it does. And I know this is your journey and I keep, again, I'm my apologies for getting off on tangents. There's just so many fucking stories with us, you know? Yeah, uh, I know. <laughs> like, remember the bathroom being all hot? It was like a jacuzzi. Oh, burning hot. Dude, I, Hotter dude, than the piss. Dude, it was, it, I mean, you didn't want to flush that thing. Let's just put it that way. No. And, it was weird, man. And then there was like a like look behind the green door number two place right, right next to it. There's like, you know, some some orgy looking place right next to the venue. And it was, weird. Oh yeah, dude, there was the green. It was like, uh, right next to the venue to the right. It was like a green, it was a, ho- it was like, like a, a whore hotel pretty much. Yeah. No, yes. it was like, it was like a look, don't look behind the green door. Number two kind of thing. Dude. And the, our, and our promoter was a fucking platypus. I remember that. I remember all of this, dude is, it was, it was <laughs> awful, dude. You know, I'm right. You know, I'm right. Like it's awful, dude. It, it was, was like so, the weirdest weirdest and there was pieces for some reason i don't even understand any of it dude, dude he was a nice guy i'm just gonna put it that way put it put that out there or whatever but yeah then the pizza place right next door was like a veterans hall it was like a veterans hall venue and then like an orgy place right all yes it was weird man but it was a great show i had a great time uh t- doing that specific run those um, vets deserve <laughs> those vets deserve an orgy i'll tell you <laughs> <laughs> oh my anyway, god let's move ahead real quick you know um now the uh second to last release that i have from you is the uh the omniclasm release this is your first release with lich king so far minus the single which which was i quit <laughs> yeah now, can you god i keep forgetting about, about that one too totally now can you tell me a little bit about the recording process and uh, on this particular release and how it was different than your previous releases. Was there anything different on this, um, on this release for you? Oh, a lot. Yeah. Um, so this is my first on here and, uh, everything was like super, just like live, live feeling, man. 
Like we went for a more live recording ish, not to say that like, so we, we kind of, we set the bar for us to like, we set a time frame for us to do it. And then like, it was almost like we tried to like, I, it was nice to set a time to finish the recording so we could rush ourselves. And with that being said, it was just like, this album is like super live, super just like rushed, not, but in a bad way though. Like, you know what I mean? Just like just fast, raw, you know what I mean? Like sounds way different than anything else that we've ever recorded. You know what I mean? No, rushed in that it, you only had like two days to fucking do it. No, just like we set, we set the bar for ourselves because like we wanted the release. I think it was like for April. Um, I think it was like April 17th. 7th? Oh, 17th. Was it? Is that what yeah. it is? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was second or seventh. Okay. So that makes sense. Yeah. So we were like in the studio, we had everything written. And then like Tom and I have met like back in winter, like when I lived in uh, Massachusetts at the time, like Tom and I, like I contributed, you know, like a good chunk of riffs too. And like Tom was like agreeing with me like, you know, like I, I have like a way more different writing style than him. And I was just happy to see like him be like, Hey Mike, that sucks. And I do not like that for this band, but I like this riff and like, you know, know, because like we have like totally different writing styles. Like I'm more like angry, aggressive and like, and I'm just, it was just cool to have a couple of my riffs accepted into a, an album that for a band that like, I've like been obsessed with for years. So it's just like, it was like a huge honor for me. Is, and, is, um, is that important that, that, that to me, that is important. I would answer my own question, you know, where, where you kind of have to be a fan first and then a musician second. Right. Yeah. Be, yeah. Of course. Because like, honestly, like Tom's, the sole writer. So it's just like, if he agrees with a riff that I present to the table, I feel like that is like, and like 10 steps above my excitement because like, Oh shit. Like, all right. Like he, because we have two different types of style, even though like we're still in the same thrash family. It's just like, I'm more of the more brutal, aggressive thrash. He's more like speed metal, just like more, skanky kind of like even though like i like all that stuff too it's just it's nice to find it's nice to for him to find something of interest when i don't like i'm not familiar with his full style i guess you could say no but but has, so obviously he he quit in 2015 but the record wasn't released until 2017 did he kind of just want to stay on and say hey i want to do one more record with you guys before i officially kind of part ways or did oh no he still is oh okay so he's, he's still, still he's still the backbone writer for sure right not writing i'm talking uh vocalist wise so he's oh yeah this album right did he want to at least do one more record before just you know officially getting a new vocalist because it took a Again, a couple years after he said he was quitting, he's on this specific album. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, no, um, at the time, the new vocalist thing was not of, like, an issue or a talk, I guess, because, like, I guess it was still written towards, like, six, 2016, like, earlier on, where it wasn't, like, officially thing, but... Yeah, it's tricky. 
but um, Tom's still like the backbone of like writing and whatnot, but moving forward. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, obviously you're the new, you know, yeah. Zach Smith is a, is a great vocalist. You know, you guys have a, a good front man as well. He's, he's, when I saw you a couple times with him playing, he was outstanding. So it's, yeah, you, know, you get the best Zach's of the man. You get that songwriting, but you also still get that the awesome front man that can deliver every night. So yeah, oh dude, Zach, I love Zach. Absolutely. Zach's like Zach has put in his dues. Like since 2017, he's been on the road with us for like like two world tours for the like. Oh my god, like it's it's been just like this man has put in his work and dues as well of all of us. You know what I mean? Just like, but to bring someone in like this, like. And that's that consistently great and such a good person and such a good friend. Uh, Zach is like an absolute amazing person and we could not be happier to have someone that is this fucking involved just as much as we are plus more. Absolutely. And you um, saw, right? Like two, uh, a month ago. Yeah. It was it was absolutely epic, and obviously I got I got to see you at the uh, Riff House with him, as well. So I've seen kind of the best of both worlds, I think. Yeah, um, I saw him with with Tom, and then I I saw you guys with Tom, and then and then with Zach. So it, there you it's, go. It's kind of fun to see the the growth of of Lich King, because the vocals are vocalists almost are like kind of they you you wouldn't even know that that Tom's missing. No offense to Tom if he's watching, but like. I think Zach, <laughs> Zach just does such a great job where like he, he fit, he fits in just perfectly. You know what I mean? You couldn't yeah. pick a more perfect vocalist for the, the, this stage in your guys's career. Now, um, it, according to my, my research and whatnot, you did another Strychnia record, uh, into the catacombs. Was this not the case? Oh, I'm not on that. You're not. Okay. <laughs> no. Interesting because it lists you on it. So there you go, right? Clean up your shit. Oh, that is completely wrong then. Yeah, no. Where where what is this reference to? Um Metal Archives actually reference. Oh yeah. No, my last one that I did was reanimated monstrosity and we had like guess um Dying Fetus guy we were at on there. Oh, uh, John Gallon. Yeah, yeah, we had on that. No, yeah, that was 2012. 13. 13, yeah. No, that was my last uh, recording with them ever. Okay, well there you go, right? We have we have uh, it documented now, so boom, there you go, right? Now, yeah, because like Strychnia went into more of like I don't know, I don't know, like I I did that final one with them, and then I also recorded with a band called Legionary, which was Alonzo's and Tony's old band, and uh, they were more like melodic death metal, thrash metal, but. Uh, Strychnia, I mean, like, I ended with that because they were going to more, like, this, like, kind of, like, deathcore route, and I was not about that at all, yeah, because, yeah. Well, let's go to when when Ryan kind of had to step away from Condition Critical, and you bring in, uh, I want to say, like, not even a year later, you bring in our, our... our good buddy, right from from Hemotoxin, right? Yeah. So, um, let's talk about that whole kind of that whole era, if you don't mind. Yeah. 
So uh, after Ryan's departure in uh, June 2019, we uh, we went on a hi- hiatus for about like about a good year, and um, I only see Condition Critical as a four piece, and I refused to uh, see us as a five piece. Like we are not that type of deal like i don't know like i i would rather suffer and wait forever to just find someone that can play a guitar because like i just want a brutal four-piece band and that's like all i want like i don't know i us like a standalone vocalist in this band uh the the riffing and the guitar tracks and everything is and the the trade-off solos it's not based around like it, it would look very stupid to me i don't know and some members were fighting to just like, man, we can find a vocalist. We can do this. We can do this. And like now I think it would be very smart to just wait and find it. And then, uh, uh, we posted a couple of statuses and Michael, um, commented on it and he sent us a, uh, tryout or he, he commented and said he was going to do a tryout and we never heard from him for about like two months and we thought it was like a lost cause. We're like, fuck, man. Like, eh, it's, everything's bummer. Like, God damn it. And then uh, he finally sent him in for, I think it was like Interminable Surgery or something, one of our uh, better known songs or whatever. And uh, he fucking killed it. And we were like, God damn, man. This guy sounds good. We flew him out, um, tried out, very happy. Uh, we'd spent a week and then he flew back out again and double taked it. And we were just happy with it. Chemistry we found was a all gem. There. Yeah, they, all the there. chemistry was all there. Cool. All there. Dude Doesn't knew happen. what we he wanted the violent violent angry aggression lyrics like aggression with vocals, the slamming guitars, the chugs, like dude, oh man, I I knew it was worth a year wait to find someone that could totally just slam with us, you know what I mean? Absolutely. And Michael's a good dude. He's a he's a great dude, so. Amazing guy. I wish he had a headstock on his guitar, but other than that, like, I don't know. Well, I give him Mas- shit. I give him Paul shit Masvidal. every single day. <laughs> well, he likes Paul, you know, we're, we, obviously we're big fans of Paul Masvidal, right? Um, now, you know, Cynic. There you go. Yeah. Right? Right. So uh, let's go to what you guys are, are what you're specifically doing um, nowadays. Are there plans for a new Condition Critical release? Are there plans for a new Lich King release? Can you give me any sort of information on those two projects you have going on yeah we have about uh we have six songs written for condition critical and we have three uh i'd say they're like roughly so we're we're aiming for a nine song album for condition critical we have a couple of label opportunities uh, (laughs) opportunities no opportunities um but no we are we're aiming for a nine track 35 minute album just like straight brutal like as always um six are written like i said we're working on the last three um yeah man we're we're doing big things and pro- uh definitely progressing with condition critical and uh we have a lot of things brewing and we're aiming for spring to summer release for album three for love sure it. love it and then lich king List King wise, there is not a. I mean, there there's definitely gonna be album seven for sure. Well, what? 
Uh, one, two, three. <laughs> He's also counting his head. No, because Seven. like of all the like random fucking weird shit that we do, so it's like, uh, so album six, Lift King six, right? That would be after Omniclassum's five because of the demos, I think. Ah, yeah. god damn it! And, and the eight bit album, which doesn't really count to me. Yeah, I don't count. I don't count Do Over, the eight bit album. Um. Yeah. Okay. So album six. Um, so album six. Yeah. Yeah. So we're we are working on that, but very minimal though, because like we've we're we are doing extensive touring next year though. I will tell you that, and we don't have a six album uh, ready. So I don't know. I mean, like we're we're gonna be active in the live scene, but new music. I don't know how soon that is gonna be, but like live show wise and shit that's coming very soon and very frequently absolutely and yeah. we're, lastly before i let you go I, I really appreciate you giving me a couple minutes of your time here to do an hour and a half interview uh with yeah, myself man. and um you know but where can people find anything condition critical uh lich king obviously you know the new jersey thrash metal right oh there. god that's so old that's thick <laughs> It came in this thing, right? But where can people find anything you know related to those specific projects? Oh, please. Uh, we got IndieMerch.com. Uh, we got Facebook, Spotify, CD Baby, iTunes. We got uh, like literally any sort of uh, what uh, social media platform, any sort of digital platform. Yeah. You can find us anywhere. Go to our Facebook uh, and all of our stores are linked to everything. You have nothing to worry about and you will not miss us for sure. Absolutely. Well, Mike, thank you very much again for giving me a couple minutes of your time here. I really do appreciate it. Hopefully we can do it again relatively soon on whatever release you have coming up. So I just appreciate a moment of your time. Um, Tanner, I love you. And Madrost is the best band in the entire world. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. But another episode of Poppers Corner, guys. We're out of here. Cheers. <laughs>